Today's reading comes from Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 17, and you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1139. Page 1139. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, We're going to be thinking about peace in a minute. So it's probably quite appropriate first to read some bands of marriage. So that's what I'm going to do. I published the bands of marriage between James Joseph Potts, you get to know everybody's names, James Joseph Potts of the parish of St. Helens and St. Richard's Hove, and Laura and Mary Risbridger of the parish of Hellingly and Upper Dicker. And this is for the second time of asking. If any of you know any reason in law why they may not marry each other, you are to declare it. Pity. (laughs) Always want some drama. (laughs) Let's just pray. Let's pray for those folks. Father God, thank you so much uh, for James and Laura. Thank you for what they mean to us. Thank you for their, uh, their Christian witness to us and their love for you. And we just commit them to you as they prepare for this uh, wedding day. Uh, we pray that uh, they will grow in their love and their trust and their faithfulness to each other. And that they will also grow in that same love, trust and faithfulness to you throughout their married lives. Amen. Great stuff. Well, anybody watch Match of the Day last night? Okay, I want to know something. Uh, First premiere season, I think, with video-assisted referees. I am guessing that every time there was a disputed decision, even even using VAR, there were still arguments. Is that right? Did we see that? Getting a few nods. I guess that would be the case. The fact is that peace and justice sort of go together. And when people don't think they've had the right decision on the football pitch, uh, there will be a row. There isn't peace when there's no justice. Well, today uh, we're looking at uh, at Romans 12. We're talking about uh, peace, but justice goes with it. So we're going to see aspects of justice and peace. And our God is a God of peace. That's why we're talking about peace. God is a God of peace. But I wanted to start off just perhaps almost challenging that comment 
Because if you talk to folk uh, in the shops or at college or at work or whatever, people won't think that nowadays. People will not necessarily agree with you that God is a God of peace. They might have a rather different view. Richard Dawkins, a famous, I think it's a rather pure R quote, but it's a famous quote from Richard Dawkins. God is a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. That will be quite a common view, actually, you will find with folk as you, as if you start engaging them in conversations. And people will tell you the things about the Crusades, or they will cite what's going on in the Northern Ireland, and they will say, no, your God isn't a God of peace. He's a God of violence. And that's a problem. It's a problem. So one thing that I learned looking at this that ties into this passage is that whenever we see God acting in conflict and that's especially in the Old Testament isn't it but when we see God acting in conflict there are always going to be two things going on there's always going to be a matter of justice of God's justice and there's always going to be the future aim of peace Uh, And we've seen that quite recently. If you've been coming along uh, to church over the last few months, we've been looking at uh, at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a brilliant example of God judging his people, the Babylonian army being brought down to Jerusalem and destroying Jerusalem because of the people's idolatry and because of their rebellion against God. So there's justice in that conflict. And then we read in, uh, it's in 2 Chronicles 36, uh, commenting on this, it says, and then the land enjoyed rest for 70 years. So there's justice and there's peace. Those are the two themes that go together. And the passage we're looking at now, Romans 12, it was on page 1139, if you want to keep it open. The passage we're looking at today is talking about peace. How do we live in peace with each other? How do we put up with stuff in our lives that we think is wrong? Uh, And that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at four principles in this short passage which talk about how we live at peace with each other, even when things seem to be going wrong, and even when we think it's not fair, and we should be able to do something about it. And that's where we go to our our first principle, uh, and it's verse 19. And it's a quotation from Moses uh, in Deuteronomy. Look at verse 19. Paul uh, quotes Moses, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord says, I will revenge, I will repay. So that's God's justice. But it sounds a bit like having Batman as a friend, doesn't it? You know, when something's gone wrong, when you've been done down by somebody else, you said, well, never mind, I can't deal with it, but God will. God will get them back. That makes me feel better. May not be now. Maybe 50 years' time. Maybe after they die, but God will serve them right. It's easy to think like that, isn't it? That God's some sort of heavenly Batman avenging for us. But that's wrong. 
That's a misreading of what Paul's saying here. We just saw that God always works to bring peace uh, and justice. But the point that Paul is saying here is that our job is to seek peace. And that justice is God's job. That's what you've been seeing in the Old Testament and that's what Paul is saying here. Our job is to focus on peace and God deals with justice. Now, there will be things, of course, that are wrong. There will be things that are unjust and it would be right to address those in one way or another. But in terms of dealing with revenge or punishment or getting our own back, when we come across injustice, well, we leave that to God. Our focus is on peace. And it's because God knows people's hearts much better than we ever will. God knows what's going on in the heart of the other person. And when we decide to get our own back, when we decide to retaliate in some way when we're done down, Well, what Paul's saying really is, we're doing God's job. We're usurping the king. We're taking over what God has said is his job, to deliver justice. Our focus is to live at peace. So we don't get our own back. We don't seem say to ourselves, well, that serves them right. We focus on peace. Well, That's all very nice and that's all very cuddly, but how are we supposed to deal with people we don't get on with? Because we've all got lots of folk in our lives, I guess, at times, that we don't get on with. And that's where you need to look at verse 20, because verse 20 just tells us to be nice to them. We're nice to the people we naturally don't get on with. Verse 20 says, feed your enemy when they're hungry. It says... Give them a drink when they're thirsty. We overcome evil with good. Paul doesn't say anything else. It's not terribly sophisticated stuff, is it? We are just to be kind to people who are unkind to us. And if you think that's a big ask, you are on the receiving end of that all the time if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus. That is what God does with us every day. Paul said in Romans 5.8, Christ died for us while we were still his enemies. And his spirit still lives in us today, enabling us to live like this. Now, being kind to enemies, two, two little some observations, if you like, around this verse 20. Firstly, we've got this strange verse here. Uh, about heaping coals on your head and putting coals on your enemies' heads. Now, virtually every commentary you pick up will give you some different explanation of why uh, being kind to your enemies is like putting coals on your enemies' heads. So, we're not going to go through all those. I'm not sure it'll help us very much. But it certainly does mean, doesn't it, that when we are kind to people who are unkind to us, it's making an impact in some way. It's affecting other people. When we're kind to people who are unkind, it will impact on them. So that's one aspect. The second one is something that Tim Keller wrote, which I thought was worth um, bringing up. And he says, we've got to be very careful sometimes when we're 
trying to be kind to people who are giving us a hard time, who we don't get on with, that we don't develop some sort of martyr complex. That we don't start sort of saying, well, look at me, look how much I can put up with. Go on, hit me again, I can take it. And, and Tim Keller makes the point that, again, that's, that, that's polluting God's love. Do you remember we saw uh, a few weeks ago, uh, verse 9, says, our love, our agape love must be genuine. We need to guard our hearts and our minds, don't we? Where we're absorbing this sort of stuff. That we love people simply because Jesus loves us. Not for any sort of self-indulgent reason. So there we are. We've got two principles. We leave justice to God. We don't get our own back. And we're kind to people who are unkind to us. Now, problem is, surely there's a limit. How much can you actually put up with? How much do we actually put up with uh, from people uh, we don't get on with? And apparently there is a limit. Look at verse 18. Paul says, if possible. That's a relief. That means I can draw the line somewhere. In fact, it's up to me. If possible, as far as it depends on you. That sounds like a real get out, doesn't it? How many times have you said, I can't put up with this any longer? I'm just fed up with this. Fed up with this person. You've got an annoying neighbour. You've got a nagging relative. You've got someone at work who keeps having a go at you. And, and sooner or later, you know you're going to snap. Um, I, was, I was reading, I, I don't know who, I have to put my glasses on to get this chap's name. Um, Stanley Hauerwas, who I've never heard of before, but um, reading something by him. He was a, a Methodist professor uh, writing in the 1980s, and he was very big, big on the ethics of, of, of nuclear war. So he's writing as a pacifist. Um, and he says the analogy or the problem is and it plays into, into this reading the problem is supposing you're carrying a gun in your pocket you always know you can fall back on that so here we are this is a pocket gun this is a what is this this is an 1872 Hopkins and Allen pocket revolver Ranger number two um, it's a real working gun with a hair trigger uh, that I can keep in my pocket and they would have used it in the West, in America, because guns, surprisingly, were banned from a number of towns. So if you went into a poker match or something, you would have your pocket gun with you, because you could sneak that in. And you had this in reserve, and you always knew if things got really difficult, you could whip this out and let someone have it. So here's the question, is what's your equivalent to the Ranger Number 2 pocket pistol? What do you keep in reserve for those relationships when they get really difficult that you know what your equivalent to the pocket pistol is? I know what mine is because I was told it not so long ago. It was deeply embarrassing. I was criticised for always being able to bring out a waspish comment. That's a really horrible phrase, isn't it? Goodness me, a waspish comment. What's your equivalent? That was my equivalent to the pocket pistol. Perhaps you don't have a waspish comment to hand, but perhaps you impose that awful silence. Are you one of those people who create an atmosphere very, very easily? Perhaps you just hammer on about something until someone's just so fed up with it. I don't know. Perhaps you're violent. Hit the children, hit your wife, hit your husband, I don't know. Point is, if you've got that in reserve, 
then we always say, well, I can fall back on that. And it's sort of there in our heads, isn't it? Paul says, you put this away. I'll put it up there. Can't go any further away than I've put it up here. But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, not do as much as you can, if it's possible, if it's up to you. If it's up to you, you go as far as Jesus did. Raniero Cantalamessa, wonderful word, name. He's the, uh, the uh, preacher, the official preacher to the Pope. Those of you who've done Alpha will have seen him uh, speaking on the Alpha course. He's got a lovely little book called The Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. And he's commenting on how far did Jesus go? And he says he did not stop until he reached the point beyond which no creature can go. That is death. So when we read these verses, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, that is not a get out. It's simply saying there will be times when, through no fault of our own, things are out of our control. Now, again, important to caveat, it may be that you are involved in a, in, in a situation that is just plain wrong. There's, there's an abusive situation or an ungodly situation, and clearly it is right to resist and, and, and walk away from that. And we'll need wisdom and discernment and help from the Spirit in times like that. But the principle is we don't take revenge, we're kind, and we go to the absolute limit, as far as we are able, to live in peace. And the fourth principle, which is there to help us really, I think, is verse 17, which is we are to be seen to do good. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, one way you can get into the public eye is by putting a helter-skelter up uh, in your church building or in your cathedral. Uh, It's one way, perhaps, of, uh, of creating an attraction. Um, I think Paul's plan is a better way of being attractive because he says we're attractive by simply doing good stuff. That should just be a natural outworking of our love for Jesus. As the Holy Spirit lives in our lives, we should naturally be doing good stuff. That's why James's letter is all about doing good things as well as just believing. We're not doing good to earn God's love. We have God's love, and so we do good. Paul puts it another way. 2 Corinthians 8, 20, he says, We want to avoid criticism, so we take pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of God, but also in the eyes of men. So we don't give people an unnecessary excuse to criticise us or criticise our Lord. And that's going to affect every attitude of our lives, it's going to affect our attitude to, to how we value money. It's going to affect our attitude to sexual relationships, marriage, how we use our time, how we use social media. All the time we're being careful to do what is right. And that helps us to live at peace. There we are, four principles. We don't get even, we're kind to enemies. There are no limits to living at peace, and we're seen to do good. That's agape love in action in our lives. So that's the theory. Now it gets a bit trickier, because now let's talk about ourselves. Let's 
come home. Let's come to hope in our own situation. Because this isn't just theory. This is, this is really practical stuff, isn't it, that Paul's giving us. Um, these are things where I need to apply it in my own life. Here's a good test. Um, we're promoting Alpha at the moment. Folk, you know, thinking about who you're going to come along to Alpha with. Who can you invite to Alpha? That person you're thinking of, would they be surprised if you said, come along to Alpha? It's a course about Christianity. Would they say, hmm, didn't know you were a Christian, the way you behave? Is there anything in our behavior that challenges us? Are we living at peace with everyone? Just, just work through some examples. We're going to spend a bit of time in a moment just reflecting on this, but let me just talk through some examples. So, you know, what about people sitting in this room now, or people in this church? Have we taken offence at something someone has said? Well, Paul says, get over it. As far as possible, you live in peace. What about your finances? What about how you conduct your, your, your business affairs? Are you avoiding paying money that you should be paying, for instance? Paul says, let them have the money. He calls us to feed our enemy. What about family life? Is there that wall of silence in it? I was talking to a man the other day. He said his son phones him every Christmas day. So anytime he speaks to him all year, but he phones him every Christmas day. And I thought, well, that's nice, isn't it? He says, yes, he phones me every Christmas day to tell me how much he hates me. That's why he phones me on Christmas Day. What's your family life like? We don't take revenge, dear friends. What about work or college? Have you seen someone promoted? Have you seen someone rewarded? Have you seen someone gone up to a team that you think you should have been in? Well, we're careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We overcome evil with good. How do we use social media? How do you drive? How do you shop? How do you chat to people over coffee? In all these things, Paul says, we overcome evil with good. Are we showing people God's amazing love and his peace? Or are you repaying evil and enjoying our revenge? We're going to pause for a moment now. um, And we're just going to have a moment uh, reflecting on this. Because I think it's a time to measure ourselves, as we heard from David Doherty a few weeks ago, uh, to measure ourselves with sober judgment. How do we measure up to this? You know, overcoming evil with good is not easy. We know that. It takes effort. In fact, that word overcome that Paul uses in verse 21, uh, it's it's a military term apparently, and it means sort of overthrowing or overwhelming or, you know, overpowering with your, uh, with your military forces. It needs power to behave like this. And we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to live like this. But it also needs prayer. We need to pray, don't we, that we can live at peace. Now, at the end of the service, there will be folk down the front. uh, And you might like to come and pray then uh, with folk there about some of these things. Um, But right now, we haven't done this for a long time, I don't think, but we're just going to have a moment now of quiet. 
And we're going to have a chance really to minister to each other. So uh, what I'm going to do is, in a minute, I'm going to uh, read a short introduction and then I'm going to read that passage again. And just give folk a chance to think through maybe relationships you have where you know your attitude isn't right. Maybe, and I think there are folk in all these situations here today, maybe you're going through a tough time and you're at the other end of this. Maybe you're getting a lot of rubbish dumped on you and you're trying to live at peace, but goodness me, it's difficult. And maybe there's someone here you know who's going in that situation and who could really do with your help and praying for them. So we're going to bring that to God right now. It may be, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. It may be that you feel you'd like to stand. If you would like to stand so that others can see that you would value their prayers, then you feel free to stand. Uh, if you want to reach out your hand to folk who are standing, then that's fine. If you're more comfortable sitting down, then that's fine too. So let's just bow our heads, have a moment of silence, and then I'm going to read this and pray. And as I say, if you would like to stand during this time, that's fine. So John Stott summarises this passage by saying this. Christians are not to retaliate like Jesus. Instead of cursing, we bless. Instead of repaying evil for evil, we offer peace. Instead of revenge, we offer love. Instead of submitting to evil, we serve the Lord. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with God, with good. Father God, many of us are hurting here. We are trying to overcome evil with good, but it's really hard. We're trying to live at peace with everyone, but there are some people we really struggle with. We want to get even but we must not take your place in judgment. Holy Spirit, come among us, renew us, comfort us, and give us strength to overcome evil with good. May we do right in the eyes of everyone, but especially in your eyes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.